Well, hey everyone, thanks for joining us once again on the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs in beautiful Sarasota, Florida at our favorite place to be, Jump Dog Audio Productions. And we have with us as well, Wayne Dallaire, our studio man behind the scenes. Wayne, how are you, Wayne? I am fantastic. That's Jim, great. You. you and I both just got back from Indiana. Oh, how what exciting. are the eyes, the Hoosier? Indiana. Heart, just wow. The corn. So lush Can you even, you know, if they just, say knee just, high by the 4th of July? Just so talking, much, so much to do there. Just the like Indy 500. Oh my God. Wayne loves it there. You like Indiana, I've right? Always Wayne? Love Indiana. He loves it. He's not just saying that. I've always wanted to go to Indiana. But? But I never want to go to Indiana. <laughs> That, by the way, is our antagonist, our resident pastor, Joe Davis. Joe, you now you can say this because you just got back from the motherland. You the motherland, went that's right. To England. Yes, I had a great time. Got oh, to meet some goodness. of your friends, which was a lot of fun. How and about that? We talked about you, and some of it was good. But that's you know you got to lie some yeah. of the time. <laughs> you no, know, we had we had a great time. Uh, it was a busy time. We went. We saw a lot of things. It was funny because like there's the a last, lot to see. The last couple of days, we we're saying, "What do you want to do?" And we were like, "I don't know. We've seen most of it." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a small, a lot of people don't realize the countries, you know, we're yeah. used to the States. There's so, so much driving, but yeah. uh, did you drive a little? Did you get a chance to- I did to, not uh, drive. My wife would not let me You don't want the left side of the road seat. type? No. <laughs> I couldn't even, Jim, I couldn't even cross the street, let alone drive on it. My goodness. Like you I like how it says, along. look right, look left that when you go on the ground. my life a dozen times. <laughs> And the buses come right up. Uh, we had a great time. It was a good time. And good. The coffee was great. The food was good. Yeah. And yeah. the Cotswolds are beautiful. Oh, uh, there's a lot to yeah. see there. So well, there's a lot to see there. A lot to talk about here. We are on chapter five. For those of you keeping track of Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. If you haven't got your copy yet, be sure to go online, Amazon, all the other places. Just type in the title of the book, The Grace Life by Joseph Davis. Grab your copy and you can catch right up. The previous 15 podcasts will get you into chapter five here. We are on episode 16 and we're going to be talking still in chapter five and touching on the subject of a boundary. This is going to be interesting because a lot of people come to me and say, what does it mean? Proper boundaries? How do I do that when it comes to accountability? How, how do I navigate that space? So we're going to be talking about that. If you've got a question, as always, email us at living the grace life podcast, living the grace life podcast at gmail.com. We do have a question from last episode, Joe, talking a little bit about this entrusting and earning the right to talk mm. to someone. They're mm. feeling that there's nothing to be earned anymore because Christ has done the work, which I'm not sure how that applies, but we'll get to that. And I okay. can see your wheels spinning. Don't cheat. I should have waited <laughs> to give you that on the spot. So be sure to email us your questions and all of that. It is coming up in this 16th episode of the Living the Grace Life podcast. Back with the Living the Grace Life podcast. You know, Jim, I got to tell you, that Beatles song we're using as a buffer. <laughs> yeah, um, you like that. You know, I got to tell you, England is an old place. 
there's Compared a lot of here, old I mean, stuff and see to the states yeah. i thought you were old well that should tell you yeah, when i got old. there you know you see a building that was built in 1850 in london like that's boring i don't want to new i don't want to see that that's like you know the the internet but these castles <laughs> these castles make you look like a teenager you know Jim. i just got to tell you i got the best castle story so we were at legoland oh. which is up it's kind of, you can see Windsor Castle and you can see Heathrow Airport. Uh-huh. And so we were looking at this nice vista and this uh, couple was next to us. And the guy goes, why in the world would you build a castle next to this airport? <laughs> <laughs> you got to love that one. That's that's true. Mm. True story. Brilliant. So. Brilliant stuff. Well, Joe, your book is brilliant stuff. Chapter five, we are on affectionate accountability. And I really liked where we went on the last podcast, which was talking about how do we allow ourselves the right amount of time and the right amount of investment in a relationship to go to someone and say, you know, I have earned the right to say something to this person. Just to recap that, I think where you were landing the plane was, you cannot short circuit that process. You must invest in that person. And you even said, if you don't, you're actually kind of manipulating and really doing a, a real disservice to the person and to the church by kind of absorbing whatever it is that you can take from them and not investing in them. Is that how you see yeah, it? So anytime there's accountability, it should be done on the foundation of love. Accountability mm. is me helping you keep what you committed to God to do on the basis of a loving, trusting relationship. If you don't know someone, don't pretend you love them. And if you don't love mm. them, don't pretend you really can hold them accountable because they have not given you the right. First of all, remember, it's me helping you keep what you committed to God to do, not what I committed you to do for God. That's interesting. It's what you committed to God to do on the basis of a love. Like you come to me and say, Joe, I really appreciate you in my life. I feel like God is working my life in this area. Can you hold me accountable? Well, then in love. So they're initiating that, you're saying, because they've made that an, commitment. That's okay. an example. Another okay. example may be a person has initiated or allowed you to have the privilege of being in their life in an intimate way or having a relationship or friendship, and you see them struggle. Now your motivation is not to correct them because, boy, you know, I'm preaching the truth. But you're correcting them because I love this person. I don't want to see them endure the pain and the consequences of their sin. And so you are vested in them because you know if they are hurting, you're going to be hurting. Yeah. And so there, it's, it's, it's a connection that is founded upon this relationship that you have taken. Look, it is very easy to hold someone accountable when you don't have any emotional investment. Mm. It's, yeah. You know, it's almost cheap. You're, it's it's almost cheap. So much judgment, right? It's you're just cheap. Cheap judgment. It's cheap and it's quick and it's easy and you're done. Boom. Don't do this. Do that. Boom. I don't know you. I don't have to talk to you anymore. Mm. But when mm -hmm. you know someone, when you're with them a lot and you've invested time and energy, maybe even money and, and emotion into the relationship, you have a vested interest in them walking with Christ. And frankly, they have a vested interest in you walking with Christ. And so now we have this mutual affection that drives more effective accountability. See, the real key is you want to be effective with the accountability. And if you don't have a relationship, the odds of effectiveness are virtually none. It sounds like you're saying that the only way to be effective is to, because you're saying you've got to invest both your time, your emotions, your money, 
to me, that's kind of what you say on page 65. Paul's actions were rooted in love. Paul was concerned about the Philippians and wanted to send Timothy to them so Paul could be encouraged by good news and relieved from his worries. That's Philippians 2.19. Later, Paul wrote that he was going to send, is it Epaphroditus? Because he wanted to be less anxious in his affection Paul sent two accountability partners, but these weren't just any two guys. Mm-hmm. They were specially chosen and assigned to the task. Mm. So that's interesting. So Paul has actually decided that because he can't be there, he's going to send two of his favorites. But the only reason he's doing it is not to correct them and not to ensure that they are doing it right just because they should, right. but because he loves them. And he wanted to have the peace of knowing that they were walking with Christ. So here's an example. So he cares, yeah. At, at Grace Life, we have a shepherd team that helps, you know, shepherd the flock and everything. And when we had... What does that mean? Uh, you mentioned what does shepherding mean, but this shepherd team that... Now, what you just said then, what shepherds well, we the flock the pa- or what we is have that? the pastors yeah. of the church. Okay. Right now, I'm the only one. We're looking to hire another one. So if anybody thinks you might fit, send your resume. We'll, we'll to, get that out, right? yep. Then we have a group of shepherds that work together, that help oversee the flock, to help organize the flock and you know and so the congregation members if they have an issue or they are look or just <coughs> guidance mentoring that's what this team does yes. okay so let's say we're in a meeting and it comes up that one of our precious flock is struggling with something and you know there there may need to be some intervention there there might need to be some help or some mm-hmm. accountability mm-hmm. the first question is has anybody around this table earned the right to hold them accountable mm. and if there isn't we have a job to do Either A, we have to take the time to develop it or recruit someone else outside of our team that has and ask them. And and usually the last person that wants to be involved in that is the pastor. I hate that job. You <laughs> I, know? That's always yeah, awkward. I, I hate that. But, <laughs> right? it's like, but, but in the end, uh, yeah. we, want to be a, we, we want to be effective. A lot of churches, I feel like they hold people accountable. That's what the scripture mm, says to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we want to follow the scripture, but we want to be effective in following the scripture. And so... When we feel like biblically we need to hold someone accountable, we are going to do everything we can to make sure the structure that we use is 100% effective because it is founded upon a loving relationship. And Mm. we want the person to receive the accountability in love in an environment that they can trust to know that they are not being attacked, but they are being encouraged. And that is why in this book, Mm. Paul sends these two guys because they knew them. They knew one had almost died serving them. That was Timothy and Epaphrodites. Yeah, think, uh, yeah. 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 And so what happens is these guys, they knew the Philippians. The Philippians knew them. There was a relationship there. And they knew, here's what they knew. Oh, he's sending those guys. They represent Paul. He is Paul to them. Yes. So he not only represents Paul, he is Paul to them in a certain way, which then, so that opens the whole then door to the discussion you have, page 66, boundaries and targets. So I'm thinking about certain religious organizations that should someone commit a certain offense, something that they would deem to be, whoa, you just crossed the line there. It could be in a marriage. It could be involving uh, stealing or whatever it is. You just crossed the line. Like we had someone at the American Church of Paris, I remember, stealing out of the offering plate. Now, that's That's an offense. That's pretty bad. So with that in mind, what do you do 
than in this intervention. So it, 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 certain organizational groups will say, well, you kick them out. You got to send them out. And until they get their act together, then well, they just, come back. I was like, how can you possibly say that to someone who's- That's the absolute antithesis of Matthew 18, 15 to 18. At some point, does it get to where you send them out? Maybe, but the scripture has perfectly set up a process that makes that very hard to get to that conclusion. It says, if someone has offended you, you go to them. If they hear you, you've gained a brother. In other words, starts over from square one. If someone offends you, you go to them. If they don't hear you, go with a friend. If they hear you, you've gained a brother. And then he goes, if someone doesn't hear you or your brother with a friend, then go with a group of friends. If they don't hear you then, go to the church. But every time you go through the process, it starts over because very next part, they say, well, Jesus, how many times do I got to do this? Seven times? Because that's the perfect number. The... He says, no, it's 70 times seven. I didn't so know that was when that comes up. Okay. Yes, it's all in the same uh... context. So what he says is if you go to somebody and they've offended you or they've done something wrong and they confess and I'm right, you forgive them, you've gained a brother. Then what happens if they do it again, you start back to square one. And just go from there then. So you're, you're go each through the time. Process. So here we're talking boundaries and accountability. Let's say someone who reports the person, let's just use the example of someone taken out of the offering plate, and they come and they say, look, that's unacceptable. In fact, I don't trust this person. Not only should they not be handling the money of the church, but they shouldn't be in the church. They're taking hard-earned dollars that would go to missions, that would go to people in need, that would go to serving the city, and I don't want to see them here anymore. And then there could be, okay, well, okay, I understand what you're saying, but obviously this person has a problem. Well, obviously you have to protect the church. How, yeah, right? I mean, the boundaries. But, and but what, the whole point of the church is a place where sinners learn to connect with Jesus. Right. So the way I would handle that situation is, first of all, in an offense like that that's, that has such a public impact, I would probably be involved in that. And I would have to, as the pastor— I believe as a pastor, I have earned the right to confront somebody at that level on something like that. I would call them with a, with a witness and say, hey, listen, this has been discovered. This is what you're doing. We're hurt by it. We're discouraged, but we love you. And we want to help nurse you back from this sickness that you have. And so uh, we want you to submit to this process. And if they don't submit to it, then I come with a couple more people. If they, still don't, yep. if they still don't submit to it, I'll come before the church. You know what it says, make him as a sinner. You know what that really means? It doesn't mean that you don't ever talk to them again. That's not what it means. Mm. It means that you treat them as someone who needs the gospel. That's You treat them as someone. Yeah, and so now you they become somebody who is a target of your outreach and the gospel. Because clearly what Jesus is really saying and what the scripture teaches is if a child is, if, the, if a person is really a child of God, they are going to hear the word of God and they will respond. That's what the gift of faith does. Mm -hmm. Faith without works is dead. If a man says he has faith, sure. right? John talks about that. You really know if you're a child of God is if you love the brethren, okay? So that process takes place. But if you really have someone who goes through all the steps of Matthew 18, 15 to 18, and they still don't want to respond, what the scripture is saying is it's clear there's no evidence of faith. Does it mean you're to cut them off? Right. Where, where in scripture does it say you cut somebody off and not share the gospel with them? I, have, the, yet to, the I have yet to find that. In Go fact, these would the be world. the people you'd want to share it with. So that yes. it's interesting. So the way that that ended up getting, it was interesting. There, were, there was a backlash. There were some people who were very angry. And so our pastor was like, okay. I would have been angry. He's like, let me handle this. I got this. So he tells everyone, don't worry, I got this. So he does, like you said, it's like an HR type thing. You go in with somebody else, you got a witness, 
And they call in the person and they ask him, hey, have you been doing this? And then, you know, no, but it's not a convincing no. And he says, he kind of just stumbles, doesn't, and so our pastor says, listen, someone saw you, we we kind of know. And uh, he's like, you know, yes, yes, I was. And and our pastor- and how glorious it, was that moment? Well, what, what made it glorious was, I, I don't know what's going on here. Do you, like, do you need- Financial help. Fantastic. Because we got it. If you if you need it. Fantastic. How much do you need? <laughs> wow. He, I, the tears, he was See, floored. That's Matthew 18. And that's normally what happens when you go through a biblical process of accountability. Right. The problem is, And I don't Jim, think anyone ever knew because the guy was so sorry. He said, I don't even, I don't need it. I don't know what, like, okay, we'll get you some help. And then our pastor was like, yeah, he's not going to do that again. He did not say that that's what he did. That's the great thing. And he's like, problem solved. And I think everybody was like, wow, what did he tell him? He mm. must have hit him over the head with a bat. And he's like, I just done. Love, I, love, <laughs> I love that story because, see, here's what happens. Because we lack courage. And reason, usually when we lack courage to confront someone, you know why? It's because we haven't developed a relationship yet. Mm. Okay. That's, but if you have a relationship with someone, you're more apt to be willing to have the courage to confront them. But what happens is we short circuit Matthew 18. Uh-huh. We don't want to go to the person. We rather go to somebody else about the person because that's what sure. we like to do. And so what begins to happen? Every time we short circuit the process of accountability, it causes more pain and anguish, and it just makes the situation messier. But the pastor at ACP handled it the right way. And he did, you're saying he didn't disclose to everyone exactly what happened. He didn't tell. I may be the, I'm the one that's probably doing, I'm think, disclosing it and now. I, it's amazing. <laughs> Do you need money? Like that, I bet you that right there with the turning the other cheek is what Scott, I'm assuming it was Scott, turning the other cheek is what Scott did there. And when that happens, the sinner is brought to a place of brokenness and humility that only the spirit of God could provide. example of someone pulling from the offering plate then we offer money uh, you know there's you can that's feel great. the power in that's it great, but yet awesome. there doesn't there have to be so boundaries we learn a lot about this mm-hmm. in recovery because when we are under whatever addiction it is that we have we have no boundaries and we have just lost total sight of anything except for feeding what it is that we need when we want it, how we want it. It's the only thing that's on our mind. And even though we don't know it, that's actually what's happening. So in a situation here, as you're saying, the shepherd team, the boundaries of someone serving and helping someone Mm -hmm. have got to be somewhere because Mm -hmm. I would think the self has got to still be protected. There can be times where someone's in a really tough situation and the right thing to say might be, I'm sorry, 
I can't help you. I think you're going to need, you can refer or do something, but so how do we get those boundaries? This is why it's very important, first of all, to work as a church, right? but also to have resources. Usually when something happens and I have to draw a boundary with someone, usually my words to them are, at this point, I don't think I'm qualified to help you. Okay. I want to help you, but I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the resources. I don't have the information. I don't have the wisdom. Maybe I don't even have the relationship necessary to help it's you. It's true. This. Yeah. I mean, you're. And so at that point, very rarely would it be a situation where I'd say, sorry, I can't help you. And you're on your mm-hmm, own. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe like if they're really vicious and vitriolic and just it's clear that maybe they're a plant from the enemy for all I know. But usually okay. it's I can't help you. But here are a list of people that I know that are willing to if you're willing to, you know. And so that's kind of the direction I would go. The boundaries are so important, right? Because when you turn the other cheek, many people will see that as an opportunity. So you have to be aware of that. Mm. You have to be careful. You got to try to discern which is which. Luckily for Paul, that never took place with the Philippians as far as we can see. Now, it did seem to happen in Corinth. It seemed to happen in Corinth. And Paul drew some boundaries with Mm -hmm. the Corinthians because there were some in that church that were bad-mouthing him, that were slandering him, and that were, and some people were coming behind Paul mm-hmm. and and saying, you know, what Paul taught you, that's not really true. People from Jerusalem were coming, you know, Paul, don't let, sure. and so Paul was pretty straightforward with that boundary. And now it's interesting, in Philippians, he draws a boundary, but not with the Philippians. He loves that church. He says, it's one of my <laughs> other chapters, it. he says, beware of the dogs. Oh, really? Beware of the dogs. He says, I want you to draw boundaries around these particular people, and here's why. Here's what they're trying to do. Here's what they want to do. They don't love you. They might pretend, but they don't, and mm. it's very clear because here's what here's what they have done in the past. Beware of dogs. Beware of evildoers. And in Corinth, he talks about them as well. And so um, that's good because he's being realistic in that situation. So yes. even though, because you say on page sixty-seven, the Philippian church was not a perfect church. Mm-mm. So that it there in and of itself, there was grumbling going on, you say, behind the scenes to which Paul responded that they should have relentless affection instead of grumbling. Paul sent Timothy and Epaphroditus to deal with this matter. However, encouragement was equally important to Paul. So he asked to hear all the good things that the Philippians were doing. He wasn't just sending them accountability because they were grumbling. He also wanted to hear about the positive side. See, I don't think people think that a lot of the time, that when you're holding someone accountable, there is a positive side to still talk about. It's always what you're doing wrong, not yeah, really here's how, you know, it's good and bad. It's important to mention it should not be, you know, carrot in the stick kind of thing. You know, it's not manipulation. Mm. It has to be principled affirmation, principled encouragement. So it's a holistic approach to discipleship, right? If it's all just positive, then it's not real discipleship. If it's all just negative, then it's legalism. It's what the Judaizers were frankly trying to do. Mm-hmm. First of all, by sending those two people who were clearly vested, one almost to death, and serving them. Those were his guys. I mean, And they were their guys. Right. And so because of that, going to deal with a disciplinary problem, there's already going to be built in a measure of affection and encouragement. And so because of that reason, it's a holistic approach to this accountability structure. Listen, if your accountability with someone is all negative, it's pretty clear that you think you're better than them. Uh 
you you think and this is a thing right so for about two weeks that i was in london i i would just i'm a political junkie right so i love american <laughs> politics and i'm starting to follow british politics as a brexit and everything this, yeah and it's so funny <laughs> to hear like video snippets of politicians saying one thing against the current party now and they said the total opposite when the tables were flipped two or three years earlier. Right? There's a lot of that there. Right? And, that's, and that's why, because there's no relationship. And so the accountability they try to offer is surface. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. Sure. But when you have affection and you have a real genuine encouragement, your accountability is now a mile wide and a mile deep. And it, and it runs deep because the people know, okay, the motives here are not selfish. Uh -huh. they, they really love me. Yeah. And it's hard, it's still hard to hear. I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but they've earned the right. So the last example I'll give in my life, there are about five guys who at any time, I've told them at any time, you can come to me, you can ask for my ministry check statements, you can ask for my search history, you can mm -hmm. ask for whatever you want, mm -hmm. yep. uh, and, and I will give it to you. Maybe I'm going to be afraid, maybe I won't, but I know that I trust you and I know that your motives are not to slam me. But and you know, they're me. always there, meaning that you're constantly being, mm -hmm. whether or not they're saying something or not, you have allowed them to hold mm -hmm. you accountable. And That's what you're using then, because you say here on page 67, agreed upon guidelines and purposes specifically ahead of time. You said otherwise resentment will set in along with distrust and bitterness. So when you're having your mm -hmm. friends do that, accountability, are you then sort of taking this advice you give take to have specific agreed upon guidelines and purposes so ahead here's, of time? Here's a great example. Let me talk about my overseer team. They are not part of Grace Life Church, none of them, but they're all local in town. There was five, one of them moved, so now there's four pastors in town. One of them's name is Brian Yost. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Joe Bradshaw, Steve McCoy, and TJ Hankey, four local guys. And here's the goal. Before we started Grace Life, I said, fellas, uh, we are a non-denominational church, so I don't have a presbytery, but I like that kind of mm -hmm. accountability. So if there is ever an issue that my shepherd team and my church has against me, and they can't resolve it with me through Matthew 18, I want you to be the outside authority they go to. And I'm agreeing in writing ahead of time that I will submit to your guys' discipline. If there's ever an issue that cannot be resolved within our church, they have people they can go to. So ahead of time, I've set up a group of guys that I love, of guys that I trust, that if our church ever had a sin problem with me and they needed an outside arbiter, they would first go to Brian. What and made he you would think of that? Them. Was that something someone suggested? How did you come? Uh, well, that's because, great. How did you come up with that? Well, because I'm a sinner. <laughs> and I I'm with you. And, and, I, and I knew I might. I'm not sure I would have come up with that. Though. <laughs> I knew I might need it at some point. And yeah. so, but also because. It's good support. Because we're a non-denominational church, yeah. um, which is a lot of great things about it. But there's some negatives. I've seen some non-denominational churches go bad because mm. there was no outside, you know, oh, Presbyterian yeah. sure. type of accountability. Sure. So my point is before the church even started. This group, before the church even had its first planning meeting, this group was in place. I took them out to a really expensive dinner. I said, now remember this if you ever have to hold me accountable how much money I spent on this dinner. But, <laughs> just kidding. but these guys, and they still connect with me. And if there's ever any problems in their church that I can't deal with, I can go to them as well. But our leaders know if you got a problem that we can't ever solve, we have this safety net of these five guys who are godly guys who right. love our community, who love us, 
they will hold accountable. Yeah, it's like reassurance almost. So in a way, it's like an an insurance policy in the sense, of course, no one thinks this is going to happen. No one wants it to happen. But at the end of the day, it's part of implementing the practice of what it is that you're preaching. And you close chapter five, practicing affectionate accountability. You said where faith exists, affectionate accountability also exists. So that's an interesting way. You say 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Then you say affectionate accountability is a natural byproduct of gospel-centered love. So in that essence, while it is natural and it is inspired by the gospel, it sounds like we've got to be diligent and we've got to be very much, uh, we got to plan for this. Like you, you're putting these steps in place. You know all of this to be true, but as part of the way that relentless love and affection and accountability work, without it, like you're making yourself vulnerable, basically, which is what but, we talked about. But here's right? the thing, Jim. See, this, this is why it's so great. You asked, why did I put up this, this structure yeah. in place? I got to say, it comes back to this. Because in the end, the bottom line is if you've been given the gift of faith and you have a you have a faith-based relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, a natural occurring byproduct of those types of relationships is intimacy mm. and affection and accountability. I will tell you that if you think you have a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ and there's no accountability, it's not really a relationship based upon faith. It's probably a relationship based upon mutual gratification and mutual enjoyment of time and things together. But the moment you begin to have those types of relationships where you're saying, you know what, I, I value you. I value your opinion. I value your love for me. I want to submit to you in this area of my life. That is not a sign of you being humble. Mm -hmm. It is a sign of the fact that God has given you the gift of faith. And it is true. John says, we know we've passed from death to life if we love the brothers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love doesn't mean, man, I like hanging out with you. Let's go get a beer. That's not what it means. Right. What it means is I'm committed to you come hell or high water. That's what it means. And that means through good times and bad, through affection, through accountability, through encouragement, I'm there. And this is a supernatural relationship. And what you just said there just triggered in my head the idea of transformation, which is what it seems like we are always we're always pushing through to something new, to be something like God's plan involves this transformation. You end chapter five without vulnerability. There's no accountability. Without accountability, church becomes something you consume rather mm -hmm. than something. Oh, you even, I didn't even see that transforms you. Liturgy and worship will not change you. God's word and intimate relationships with his people are mm -hmm. what change you. So mm -hmm. As uh, that's funny, you, you said that because I saw you say change, and I was like, okay, that's got to be transformation. And isn't that why we're in this to be intimate, to be vulnerable, and to love, and then to transform who we are, not just ourselves by ourselves, but through this, the brothers and, and sisters and through the church? Like we're why, changing. This is why I love recovery ministry and 12 step programs because they, they model for us this idea of accountability and intimacy uh, and vulnerability. Here's, here's what I mean by that. The mm. fact of the matter is if you claim to be a child of God and you can't name, 
at least a few people that you have absolute vulnerable accountability with, then you may not necessarily be a child of God. I believe with all my heart that the gift of faith always does a great job of saving us, and it always does a great job of transforming us. The problem you have is the way that God has set up the transformation, it comes through two ways. His word, his or three ways, his word, his spirit, and his people. And if you think, last time I made this declarative statement, some people emailed me and say, hey, you know, that wasn't right. <laughs> I said, what I said was, I think... I said, if you think you can get along without the church, and I didn't mean the church as an organization, I meant the church as people. I yeah, said, if yeah, you think sure. you can walk with Christ without the church, you're delusional. I, I that's love, what I, I said. remember you saying right. that. Right. And some I people said, what do you mean the I church? Like, and I said, people. I like those definitives. <laughs> but here's another, here's another one. Here's another definitive. If you think you can grow and be transformed without an intimate relationship with God's people, you're delusional. You're delusional. It's not going to happen because the only way you can have accountability is if you have intimate, affectionate relationships that provide the venue for this. Because let's face it, all of us need accountability, some more than others, you know, oh, yeah. but we all, sure. we all need it. And the fact is, if you go to church and you don't have intimate relationships, you're just a consumer. You're just a consumer. All right, Joe, Q&A time. And from our episode 15, where we talked a lot about earning the trust, we talked a little bit about it this episode. If you're going to speak to someone, really try and, and, and let them in on what it is, maybe a blind spot they have or something that needs to be looked at. You have to earn their trust. Someone said, why is it that we have to earn anything since Christ has done the work for us. So I think what they were getting at in that aspect is performance and earning anything is really looking at it from, okay, here's what I have to do. I have, I have to go do these things to then ensure that you're ready for me to talk to you. Well, if, if Christ is the one that's going to be doing the healing and the transformation and the, and the real work here, Christ is the one, you know, it's pointing them to the supernatural power why do I have to be the one? Is it just to be heard, or what? What? What work is it that on my so, part? Why I thought I didn't have to do work is kind of so. When I say earn it, what I mean by that is you need to be willing to serve. See, because far too often Scripture says, uh, Paul says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you." Mm -hmm. Doesn't say it below you. It says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you." And so when I say you have to earn the privilege of holding someone accountability. I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm not talking about earning justification. I'm talking about humbling yourself to serve and to be invested in someone's life. Like I said, it is, it is so easy to come in like, like a Navy SEAL and shoot somebody's <laughs> right. life up with accountability bullets, and then I'm out of there, and you guys patch your own self up. See, to me, I'm talking about when you earn accountability, you have said, I see this person struggling. I'm going to get into their life. I'm going to help. I'm going to be there. I'm going to endure some of the pain right. that they are struggling. That's what earning means. So I'm yeah, not see, talking I about think earning I do righteousness. The, I do the total opposite because I, I don't like telling anyone. Like I, I know in my own recovery, like I'm not going to tell you what to do because I, I, I can only tell you my brokenness. And then you had said, did I hear this on the last episode? You said, it was the last episode, that by being vulnerable and being intimate with someone, you are 
being a service to them. I had never thought about it that way because sometimes <coughs> I think, well, I need to be doing this or that. They always talk about service in AA and, uh, you know, I I, I kind of think, well, I, I don't know what it is that I can do or should do. Like, I don't want to, I don't want the burden, I think sometimes, but then the way you just said, I was like, well, I'm open and intimate with like, you know, maybe I have no boundaries and maybe that's good or bad, but I, I really, I'm open and intimate and maybe that's a, that's a well, big of part of my is. service, but I wouldn't see it that way. Think about this. I'm just being like me. So that's weird. Yeah. In a recovery program, normally you're allowed to pick your sponsor. Yeah. Or they pick you kind of. But yeah. yeah. You know, for me, the, <laughs> yeah, the best right. results are when you get to pick your own, I guess. Yeah. Right. You know, so, but my point is like when you have an opportunity to, for someone to hold you accountable and that person is someone you have allowed into your life. Just to me, there's a reason why you've allowed them in. Like those guys, yes, those guys yes. that I told you we picked for, exactly. our, for our overseer team. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something. Each one of them has earned the right. They didn't know they were, maybe they didn't, maybe they knew that. I just know that right. their connection with me, I said, you know what? They have earned the privilege of seeing my garbage. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if it ever got to the point where our church had to hold me accountable to that level, that would be a very difficult time in my life because that would mean there are some things going on that I have right. failed in and Probably. it would be a very bad time for me. And so when I was putting that group together, I thought, who are the guys that I wouldn't mind seeing that kind of garbage? Right. And those were the names You had to have up. them. Yeah. My first sponsor I ever had was here in Sarasota. It was in the summer and I had talked about living in Paris and he loves, he'd love to go to Paris in the summer. So he came up to me. He was a former head of the department of theater at, at UMass. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Brilliant guy. So we hit, and I didn't realize most of the time we spent talking, he was Jewish. He, the first three steps are to basically your powerlessness, then willing to submit to a higher power and then giving up and giving it all to your higher power. So we, we got into some pretty intense discussions and, uh, he was, you know, he had a lot of family that was affected by the Holocaust. And he's like, your God, I don't understand how a loving God can do that. And he, he would challenge me and we go back and forth. And so I was like, I don't understand a lot of things either, but I know that Christ is in my life. I know he heals. I know he put, so it, anyway, he told me in October that he was diagnosed with this crazy rare bl uh, blood marrow uh, disease and he passed away in January. Mm -hmm. And right, the last conversation I had with him, he said, you know, I had no idea that we were going to be talking mostly about religion and talking about God. He's like, but I just want to show you something. He showed me on his door. There's a little scroll and it had in it a piece of the a, a, the Torah. And he said, just so you know, we worship the same God. Mm. And I was like, wow. Mm. He really felt he had come full circle on a lot of the issues that he had had and was beginning to reconcile some but of that. But that intimacy was because through your relationship, you'd earned the right to hear it. Right. And through our so own experiences I mean. of being broken through booze, like how amazing is that, that we can then have a very powerful discussion, not about not drinking, but about right. the healing power and the sovereignty of God mm. in his house. Good. That was really cool. So, mm. yeah, if you've got a question, this is how it's done. You just email us. That's livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. If we select your question, you're a winner. Next episode, we are wrapping up chapter five, the workbook questions. And I think we've got three questions for the workbook. So we'll dive into that. And beyond that, 
Wayne, any parting words for our for our audience out there? How was episode 16? You feel good? Jim, it was a blessing on my life as always. Oh, thank you, Wayne. Wayne, so you see, he listens as he's see, doing I'm it, just, right? I feel like, you know, <laughs> early on, you were really ignoring Wayne. I've heard this on but a few because I had Because I had earned the privilege of holding you accountable. And now, look, and now, look my affectionate, I, yes, I don't hold Wayne sure. accountable, but I have affection for him, so... <laughs> That's our show for today. On behalf of Wayne, Pastor Joe, and the entire team here at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next time. And remember, whatever you do each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.